Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Tell you what, let's stand up for the reading of the Word of God. We're Romans 8. Take heart, loved ones. We're only going to look at three verses. But... Let's pick it up, verse 1, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness and sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, and that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because of the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for the truth that it gives us. And Father, we just pray this morning, help us to set our minds on the things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely. Help us to set our minds on the Spirit. Father, we just pray that you'd just bless this time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been learning some things. In chapter 6, we learned a couple things. In verse 4, it says that, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism to death. That just Christ, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also walk in newness and life. Likewise, also... You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We also learn that we're free from the law. The old old man just can't keep down his flesh. But in verse 1, we learn that there is no condemnation, past, present, and future, free from the judgment of God. And then verses 2 and 4, we learn what it meant to be our lives centered in Christ. What does that mean for us? Well, taken up, we're going to go through this really quick and then we'll go back over it. In verse 5, we learn that it's between the flesh and the spirit. The unsaved person lives in the flesh and for the flesh. His mind is centered on satisfying his flesh. The saved, is his mind is centered on the spirit and the things of the spirit. He lives in newness of life. It doesn't mean that he can't do anything bad just like the, the, bad, or the uh, natural or the fleshly man can't do anything good. But it's what we're now bent on. We knew we are now born with a new spirit. So we have a new longing in our hearts. A new bent in our lives. A new perspective. Then we saw and see in verse 6 that it's a separation between death and life. The unsaved person is alive in the physical realm, but he's dead in the inner man. He's dead toward God and the things of God. The saved has life and light knew they have eternal perspective. And then, if you will, the bottom 
of verse 6 and then to verse 7, the spiritual man has peace with God where the carnal man is at war with God. And then verse 8, we see that it's the unsaved that is just pleasing himself. He rarely thinks about God. The root of all sin is displayed in Satan's fall. I will what I want, obeying my desires. And those desires are everything that enslaves him. Sin, the dominant motive in life. But us that are saved, we live to please God. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. The unsaved is never satisfied. When you live in the natural man, you are never satisfied. Scripture has quite a lot to say about that. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Proverbs 27.20 Proverbs 30.15 The leech has two daughters. Give, give. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He goes on to say in chapter 5, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Habakkuk says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. He does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he's like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. But we, we live by faith. And if you will, it's like David said in Psalm 36. He says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Is that your experience? Is that what you are living for? Is that what you're living in? If you're honest, no. We live in a time and age right now where it's all about me and what I feel and what I think. We're bombarded by it. And the sad thing, it's infiltrated the church. Never satisfied. Wanting more. Whether it's in the physical realm or it's just... For my notoriety. It's amazing. Everybody goes on these different medians and, and are able to put their opinion out there. Put their face to it. Look at me. And it's amazing how these videos go out and how people become known by these videos. Some of them are just totally embarrassing. But it doesn't matter because you see me. I'm on TV. And what it does is it makes us feel dry in ourselves. Am I accomplishing anything? Am anything happening in my life that's worth keeping? Worth lifting up and saying, look at me. It's like our kids, and every one of them used to do this. They would say, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. And I know you have that same experience at your house. We want to be seen. I want you to see me. You're going, well, it's easy to see. You're standing there. We have to look at you. 
But see, if that's our perspective in life, then we also have to pay the piper because you may be looking at me, but you also may be looking at maybe my shirt's not as ironed or my hair's not right or my wrinkles are becoming more pronounced. But see, that's not what I want you to see. No. That's why I shower. That's why I shave. That's why I actually do wash my hair and glue it. But see, it really comes down to, are you satisfied? Have you found your contentment? Because see, this is where it begins. It's where the longing is. It's where, if you will, (laughs) where my mind is. Let's look at that again, shall we? Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, the word according means to go along with. It means to be on the way with, as if to be holding the hand of another, to be underway or in route. And set your mind, it means to direct one's mind, to seek, to strive for, to be of one's party, to side with him, to be of the same mind. It's based on your opinion, your view, your truth, your belief system. What do you reach up to grab onto? What hand? Is it the world? Is it the flesh? See, if we do that, then we understand something. We can all admit this is that you're never satisfied. Never. And yet the picture here is, we're not of that. We're of the Spirit, and our hand goes up and we grab onto the Spirit's or or Jesus' hand. And we say, I find my contentment in you. I find that you are who you are. But see, it's that perspective. Who do you see God as? A.W. Tozer put it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, what have we been learning? We've been learning that God saved us. We've been learning that God has freed us. That God has given us new life. That God is for us. That God isn't condemning us. That our life is now in Christ. Let me go over some of that. We went over it last week. It's it's quickly. In Christ means that God declares us righteous. In Christ, God calls us holy. In Christ, calls us in security. In Christ, God has guaranteed us an inheritance and a seed in heaven. In Christ, God has given us the ability to know and understand truth and wisdom and Him. In Christ, God gives us strength, power, leads us into triumph. In Christ, God loves us. In Christ, we have access to God. In Christ, God has given us all things that are precious Everything that we need to live godly lives given to you. Do you see God like that? 
Or do you still see yourself and how you're failing? How you're not making it? See, it's been said the mind is the rudder. It's what you think is what's going to direct you. For as a man thinks, so is he. So again, it becomes an understanding of something. Whose hand are we taking? Whose hand are we trusting in? Are we trusting in God who has promised it all? Or are we still trusting in ourselves? Our own ability. My strength. I can do it. God's going to be pleased with me. I know He is. Because I'm doing this. I'm doing that. See, we all get guilty of that. But the truth of the matter is, is can we just embrace the fact that God says, I give it to you. See, this is the, this is where the, really, if you will, the sandals hit the dirt path and say, ah, I am free. Because no matter what you did this week, God has forgiven you. It's not condemning you. See, the freedom is understanding what God has given, what God has done, and what God continues to do. That you're loved. I'm loved. Rejoice. Praise God. I have everything I need. But knowing now that the mind is where the rudder is, the mind is where the battle is. And see, that's where Satan gets us. Whispers in your ear. I can't believe that person said that to you. You! What right does that person have to say that? Or, or, I can't believe you did that. That is so embarrassing. You are a jerk. Or, I can't believe you're thinking that. Oh, you might as well just give into it now. It's done. It's just like you just heard. It's the rudder, man. You're falling. And see, we buy into it. Now we understand why Scripture says a couple things. One thing, we put on the helmet of salvation. I'm saved! I take the shield of faith, quench those fiery darts, but I also understand something else, that in Scripture, it tells me to walk not in the flesh. Why? Because we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every time those thoughts come in, we've got to learn to be active and say, No, that's not me. My hand's in His hand. Instead of taking them. See, the problem is, is that some of us, there's so many being thrown at our minds. And we may be knocking them all away in Christ, but then that one hits. And see, that's what he does. You know, it's kind of like what happens with the Hamas. See, they shoot all these missiles, knowing that most of them are going to be blocked out. But it's not the ones that are going to be blocked out. It's the ones that get through. That's the ones they want to hit. Whatever ones those are. And it's the same thing with the enemy. He throws so many darts at us. And for the most part, we knock them away. But then that one gets in. 
that one that we start thinking about, that one that takes hold and holds us captive and we feel like we're enslaved. But that's not the truth. The truth is we're free. But see, sometimes I don't feel that way. But instead of taking my feelings in consideration is what God has declared. You're free. I love you. And nothing surprises God. That's good to hear. He's not up there going, I can't believe it. Kevin did it again. Because you know Kevin's going to do it. Whatever that is. I'm still trying to figure that out. One of these days. No, I'm kidding. But the point is, is that that's what we do. We expect God to be disappointed with us. And yet, He has chosen us from eternity. He already knew we were lugheads. <clears throat> we're all lugheads. That's why He had to die for us. So noticing the next thing is, it's not just the protection of the mind, it's also taking that spiritually minded is life. Now this word minded means what one has in mind, the thoughts and purposes. Life, that absolute fullness that's real, genuine, active, and vigorously devoted to God. To set our minds on Christ, on His purpose, on His promises, on His power. And He says, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life abundantly. The thief is going to throw a whole bunch at you, but know something. I have come to give you life and more abundantly. You are free. I love what David says. David puts it this way. David puts it this way. Oh, David, where are you, David? Blessed be David. Oh, there's David. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with the hidden treasures, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babies. But as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. See, it's not just the perspective here on life, in this world, but it's understanding that I'm made for a different world. I'm going somewhere else. My passport's already stamped. My name's already written. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, if you will. He says, if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if you believe that God is... God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun. Then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near to the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of morning. They do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendorous we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in when human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as an intimate creation in its lifeless obedience. Then they will put on its glory, or rather that great glory of which nature is only the first sketch. Or, 
as he said in another time, he says, I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. Most, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The longing, the desire to be perfect, to be whole, to be right standing, to, to live in love, to rejoice in joy and peace. Is the understanding that our Lord, who's done it all, comes by to all of us and bids us come follow me. Come follow me. I've come to give you life. It's sad because so much and so many in the church, us included, satisfy and fulfill ourselves in our flesh when it doesn't compare to the truth of what God is doing in each of us. We have life and we have it more abundantly. And that we have an eternal calling that's for each of us. That's why Paul in Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. It's taking the hand of of the one that's leading us home, but it's also understanding that every day of our lives, the battle rages. And in my mind, will it be on the hand that's holding me? Or will I again stray away and just say, oh, but just one little morsel. Or just, I have to take this thought. Because again, this is something I'm dealing with, Lord. This is something I have to work through. No, you don't work through anything. God does it all. Now, He may present it to you, but again, it's for you to put your hand again into His and say, you know my struggle. I'll trust you. You see me. You know me. And some of us maybe don't realize that He knows your name. Do you? Do you accept the fact that God knows your name? Knows everything about you. Knits you in your mother's womb. Knows every freckle. So, again, so we see in verse 6 something else. That I rest my mind on what? On the peace of God. That word peace means tranquil states of soul. Assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that it may be. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Paul will go on to say, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Uh, In Hebrews, the writer says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we have Christ, we have everything. If we have Christ, we have everything. 
we have Christ, we have everything. The world's not satisfied. Have you found your peace? It's not when the kids stop yelling and screaming. Sometimes it's a miracle. It's not when you find yourself alone in quietness. You think that's peace. No. Uh, maybe it's doing your favorites, whatever activity. You say, I find peace in that. No. See, the only real peace that you'll ever gain, the only real peace that you'll ever understand that will impact your life is God's peace upon you and accepting that. To rest in that. To find my rest in Him. That's why He says, Come all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come to Me and you'll find rest. It's rest in Him. It's rest in the fact that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That His love is so encompassing that there's no other love that's needed. David, did I put you down here, David? Yes, how precious, he says, is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Whose hand is our hand in? Is it in Christ? If it's in Christ, then know that not only that He gives us life, but He gives us the guarantee that we are being changed. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That as we gaze into His face, something's happening. See, with the turmoil and everything else, and the great illustration of this is Peter. Peter walking on the water was fine as long as he fixed his face on Christ. But when he took his face off Christ, what happened? He sank. And that is the illustration of all of us. When we embrace the water, the water will suck us in. But blessed be Peter because he said the most beautiful, shortest prayer ever recorded in history. Lord, help. And the Lord upholds all those who are bowed down in the eyes of him. And he gives them their meat in due season. See, really, if you want to know the journey, let me clue you in. For somebody that's been walking this path and falling and tripping and then rising again, He's always faithful. He'll always be there. But you can save yourself a lot of problems and a lot of trouble if you stop striving in your flesh and just reach up your hand and say, I need you. I want you. Help me to live in you. Daily.
Then when you struggle through the day, be at peace. He hasn't turned his back on you. He's there. Just waiting for you to say, Lord, help. His peace passes all understanding. His peace is what he's given. Rest assured, he would tell us, stand fast. I'm not going anywhere. Not good to know. He ain't going anywhere. He's there for us. Changing us. Making us new. And we're learning to walk in the newness of life. That's what we're learning here. Not condemned. I'm in Christ. God sees me in Christ. And He says, now walk with me. Set your mind on me. Put your hand up. Let me grab it. Let's go. You picture your kid Did you ever walk around in the store? There's two, well, I'll just narrow this down. Trust me, I know there's a bunch of different kinds. There's the one that will hug your hip because they're not too sure of all the trees walking around. But then there's the other one. Where is he at now? What are you doing in the shelf? Get out of the shelf. What are you doing? Don't pick that up. Don't talk to that person. You don't know them. No, that's not the real Santa Claus. There is no Santa Claus. Oops, I'm sorry. <sighs> sorry, Jed. But see, there, there's that, and there's the one that hugs the hip. But and the one that hugs the hip, you're trying to get them to, to venture out, but not too far. But it's to keep the eyes on me, so I can keep my eyes on you. So it's finding again that, that putting my mind on Him is the adventure of life, of walking with Him, of being close to Him, and understanding that just as a parent in that, just that illustration I gave you, if my child would grab the hand of a stranger, then I would come after him. Do you see the picture? Oh, but let's finish this. Verse 8. Knowing these things that a, a person in the flesh, they can't please God. But that's not so with us. <laughs> we can. What is it he desires? Well, please means to submit oneself to the desires and interests of another. Setting my mind on pleasing that one rather than pleasing oneself. See, if we can get this, then we can really grab onto something really true. What is it? See, I'm not here in my life to please myself because it never works. I'm never satisfied. Now, it may be different for you. I doubt it. There's always something more I want. There's always something else I need, I think. There's always something. Yet the truth of the matter is, I am never satisfied trying to please myself. It becomes empty. Jesus says, as I am, walk in me. 
Walk in my spirit. What was his, what was the spirit of Christ to do my Father's will? Not my will. I've come not to be served, but to serve. To give my life as a ransom to many. What you have seen me do, now you do. If you keep my commandments, I will manifest myself to you. If you obey me, walk with me. Be with me. Stop trying to please yourself. Please the one. Listen. That's pleased with you. God's pleased with you. I mean, let that just... God's pleased with you. God loves you. God says, let's go. Let's go for a walk. That's what life is. It's a walk. It's a journey. That's why Scripture keeps saying, walk in the Spirit. Walk in His love. Walk. It's because, again, <laughs> we're just pilgrims passing through. We've been freed. There's no condemnation. We have peace with God. He's not angry with us. We have life in Christ. Not just eternal, but now. We have everything that we need pertaining to this life. See where the wings are beginning to flap? Wait a minute, it's not about me? No! Uh, you know, I was funny when I, I was, I was always look at these things that the guy's trying to fly first, and you know they really thought wings would work. Even back in ancient Greece, they thought this would work. You could put some feathers on arms and you can jump off. So you just picture, it's always like everything, you know, like the one time tomatoes, tomatoes were thought as a poisonous, here in America, a poisonous uh, fruit or something, whatever it was, nobody would eat it. Until one brave man ate it and found out, hey, this is pretty good. And guess what? They made a statue of this guy. The guy, the first guy to eat a tomato. And it's like, it's good. Hey, this is good stuff. Who's the first guy that eats this? Who's the first guy that discovers what's poisonous and what's not? Oh, look at Fred. He ate that. Oh, you Fred. It could be you, Fred. Hell, look at that. He eats this. And he dies. He goes, okay, let's watch. What did he eat that? Okay, let's not eat that over there, right? But somebody over here says, okay, let's try this. It's good. What's the same thing with the wings? How many guys tried flying and crashed and died? Can you imagine a guy, this is going to work, I know, and he jumps off the building with wings and starts like this, and then smack, he hits, wham! Hurts. Somebody fails. But see, with Christ, he's saying, look, I will lift you up. I'll do all the work. Just set your mind on me. And you fly. It's only when we start going, hey, look, I'm flying, or I'm walking on water, that we realize, oh, I can't do this. And of course, the enemy's up there constantly throwing this at you. You can't fly. You can't do this. God's upset with you. God's not pleased. I can't believe this. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you're thinking that. I can't believe... Well, remember when you did this? Remember when you said that? Remember that sin? 
Oh, that was a good sin, wasn't it? Wasn't it a good sin? Constantly throwing things at us. Why? Because he doesn't want to see you get this. What would happen if the church began to take wing, take flight, and the world would look and say, what do they have that I do not? Because this world is full of people that are not satisfied. This world right now has more suicides than any other time in the history of mankind. Why? Because people are scared. People are not satisfied. People are hurting. They don't even know what sex they are. They don't even know what gender they are. They don't know who they are. They think a different government's going to answer all their problems. They just think that if everybody would just do what we say and, and tolerate what we think you need to tolerate, we'd have a peaceful world. If we just got rid of religion, if we just got rid of this, if we got rid of that, we'd all live in peace. But they don't realize something. They're all dying. They're all separated from God. And you and I have the answer. Set our minds, Christ. Let's learn to fly. There is no condemnation to those we're in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for constantly looking at ourselves, our situations, and our perspective in this world. I pray for each of us that we learn something this morning. That we learn to set our minds Upon you. That our whole world view is upon you and towards you. That we lift up our hands to walk with you. That we receive the peace that you have given us, the life you have given us. And that our lives would be about pleasing you rather than just ourselves. Lord, that you would take us individually and collectively as a church to impact this world that they may see the truth and find their rest in you and be at peace. Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us truly get this. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for them. I thank you that they, they sit here and they open their word, that they, they want to learn, that they want to grow, Lord. I thank you that they do have a passion. They do have a longing for you. I pray for each one of them, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would strengthen their faith in you, that you would give them encouragement But Lord, I also pray that you'd help them to understand that they're dissatisfied because they're trying to find their satisfaction in something else besides you. 
Help each of us fix our eyes upon you and find our satisfaction in you. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. 